you that you will open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We've been going through the seven letters to the churches of Revelation. The letters to the seven churches of Revelation. And over the last few weeks, we've studied the letter to the church of Ephesus, which was called the Loveless Church. Where the Lord said, I know your works, your labor, your faith, but I have these things against you that you left your first love, you left your devotion. And then studying the letter to the church of Smyrna, which was the persecuted church, where the Lord says, do not fear, he who overcomes, I will give him of the crown of life. Then looking at the letter to the church of Pergamos last week, the compromising church that had allowed different heresies to come into the church. But today we get to study the church of Thyatira. If you like taking notes, write this down as the title of today's message, The Corrupt Church. The Corrupt Church. The letter to the church of Thyatira. And Thyatira had the opposite problem of the church of Ephesus. (laughs) Ephesus had the works, had the doctrine, had the faith, but Ephesus did not have the love. Now, Thyatira was thriving in love, but it failed in truth. And this was their compromise. It was thriving in the area of love. It was faithful. It was steadfast. It was enduring, but it lacked truth at its core. And this was the compromise. Now, we know as we study the seven churches, we know that they each represent the condition of the heart of the Christian. So not only speaking to a group or a church corporately, but it's also speaking to us individually today, this morning. And speaking to the condition of the heart. Because if we water now down the truth, or if we neglect the truth and only have love, we are watering down our faith. Oftentimes we think, is it about truth or is it love? And the question is not, is it truth or love, but it's truth and love. That everything that we would speak it, we would speak it in truth and we would speak it in love. Paul the Apostle said in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. How is it that we grow up in all things? We grow up in truth as we speak it in love. Oftentimes we love someone, but we don't love them enough to tell them the truth. And when we speak the truth, it it must always be within the context, notice this, of love. I love what it's been said before. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. And here, this was the problem of this church, the hypocrisy. And as a result, it lacked the discernment to maintain the church pure. It lacked the discernment to maintain the church pure. Why? Because truth is what keeps the church pure. Truth is what keeps the church pure. And they faced some of the greatest enemies, the two greatest enemies of the church of that day and of today that we face which are idolatry and immorality. 
where we worship something other than God, or when we're given over to a type of sexual sin, this is what they're struggling here at Thyatira. D.L. Moody said it best when he said this, Satan doesn't care what we worship as long as we don't worship God. And he is on the attack, on the offensive, looking to pull the Christians in the church away from the truth of the worship of God. This is why if we are to maintain a pure life as believers, as men and women of the faith, we must stick to the truth. We must hold the truth. We must keep the truth. And we're going to learn four major things as we see here the book of Revelation chapter 2. If you like taking notes, number one, the approval of the church, the accusation of the church, the admonition to the church, and then finally, the promise. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, speaking to the church of Thyatira, it says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I, will give, I have gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who com commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with the death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, because you are today the one that searches the hearts and the minds. So we ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would search our heart and mind. That you would reveal to us those things, Lord, that you don't approve of. That, Lord, that we would remain as a pure church, as a holy church, because we are a church filled with truth. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the strength to be on guard against the strategies of the devil. Let us be ready, Lord, for your coming. In Jesus' name, and together the church would say, Amen. Now you see here, as we start in verse 18, the approval. Here, speaking to the church of Thyatira, we find an introduction, a history and a background of this church. He says, to the angel, to the pastor, or to the messenger of Thyatira, speak these things. Now, this is the character of the city. Now, if you notice here, this is the longest message of the seven letters to the churches of Revelation, the longest one out of the seven, but it's to the least important city and the smallest church of the seven with the longest message. Thyatira was known to be a city as one known for a, its military center, and it was to act as an interceptor uh, of any armies approaching Pergamus, since Pergamus was the capital of all the cities of Asia Minor, it was known to be that which one that had the most threats. 
But the armies had to defeat Thyatira before it can get to Pergamos. And Thyatira, like the other cities, was also known to be given over to its idolatry or to the worship of gods. In fact, they had one god, a special temple to the god Apollo, the sun god. It's no wonder that Christ here reveals himself as the son of God to that church that worships or is in the city given over to the sun god, now Apollo. And here they had a center of in Thyatira of business and of trade. It was extremely busy. Thyatira was famous for being a manufacturer and a seller of purple. Purple represented royalty. Purple represented something that was very fine or very expensive. And this dye of purple was extremely expensive also to purchase. Now, if you notice and remember in the book of Acts, Paul ministered to a woman in Thyatira who was a seller of purple. In Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says this, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. This woman, Lydia, was ministered by Paul, who was from Thyatira and was a business owner, an entrepreneur, had a business of selling purple. Now, this is important that we realize the character of this city as it was given over to business, to trade, and to idolatry. Because here we're introduced now in the second half of verse 18 to the character of Christ. And it says this, these things says, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. This now is a reflection of the vision that John the Apostle received in Revelation chapter 1. It said that he had a vision of God and he saw Christ now, Jesus, the Son of God. And he starts off saying these things says the Son of God. Now he describes Jesus here in his deity, the Son of God. He describes Jesus in his divine nature of God. We know Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. Well, here he's describing him, yes, in his humanity, but he gives emphasis to his deity or his divinity. You know, in the Jewish culture, when someone would say the son of, it would speak of that person having the same nature of the son of what they were referring to. So to say that Jesus was the son of was saying that he was equal or had the same nature of God. Here he's saying the Son of God, Jesus, who himself carried the divine nature of God, who was God. Notice what he says. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. Now it's important that we pause here and understand why he describes Christ as he who has eyes as a flame of fire. The eyes of Christ that John saw that were like a flame of fire speaks of those eyes of penetrating judgment. (laughs) The eyes of fire, the eyes that would be purifying. But not only did he have the eyes of now a flame of fire, but it also says here that he had like his feet like fine brass. 
And fine brass speaks of this purity of brass that is pure, that is highly refined in the fire. In fact, it speaks of steadfastness, the brass, or the fee as fine brass. Why? Because brass was the strongest known metal in the ancient world, and fee as fine as brass meant strong and unmovable. So it's he, the Son of God and his divinity, who has eyes of penetrating judgment, and with the eye and with the feet as fine brass that is steadfast, strong, and unmovable. You see the picture in which Christ is described here? What's well, important to understand because this is the approach of the message that he has for the church of Thyatira. He's coming to judge. Now notice what takes place in verse 19. I know your works. Would you underline that in your Bible? I know your works. I notice the things that you're doing, or I can see your perseverance, Thyatira. I, I, I see your works. And then he lists the works that he sees. In fact, he says, the works are love, service, faith, and patience. Thyatira, I can see that you're a loving church, that you're a church given over to charity. You're involved in sacrificial ministry for the sake of other people. You're selfless, Thyatira. You are a loving church. I can see your perseverance when it comes to love. But not only that, I see your faith. Your faith is enduring. Your faith and your trust in me, you're continuing in your faith. You have not denied the faith in the midst of persecution, suffering now, or in the midst of a trial. So I see the way you love one another. I see your faith in the midst of persecution, but also notice your patient endurance. I see that you're suffering patiently for him. In fact, what Christ is saying, I see every sacrifice that you are making. I can see every sacrifice that you are making. And he goes on in this very verse, 14, verse 18, as for your works, the last are more than the first. As for these works that I just mentioned, your longevity, your perseverance, your heart for other people, I see that these works, the last are more than the first. I can see your constant improvement. I see that in all these things, you continue to grow. Now, this seems like it would be a very good report to, of the church of Thyatira. You're serving, you're growing, you love one another. In fact, you're not guilty of mere religious activity because you truly love one another and you're suffering. You're not denying the name of Christ in spite of the persecution against your faith. Nevertheless, here in verse 20, and we see here the accusation as we continue reading. And here the accusation has to do with the character of the church. Here comes the rebuke. I have a complaint against you. In spite of all this, yes, in spite of all you've done for me and you continue to grow in these areas, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You know what he's saying? Nevertheless, church, there are a few things we need to talk about. You may be serving you have not denied the faith. You may call yourself a Christian in the midst of a very dark world with a lot of pressure 
persecution and opposition. Yes, you do well. In fact, you're growing. However, we need to talk about a few things. There's a threat that's taking place, and the threat here is happening from within. The threat is not coming from the outside. The threat is coming from within, from the inside. And he says this, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel. Next to that word allow, I want you to write the word tolerate. Because you tolerate or you approve of Jezebel, that woman who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat the things sacrificed to idols. Here it comes down to the character of the church. I have a few things against you. You allow or you tolerate Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, who is a false prophet, not only to teach, but also to seduce my servants. And as we read this now verse, we understand that what they're doing is they're allowing this false prophet to lead them astray into compromise with the religion now of Rome so that the Christians would not lose their jobs or their lives. You see, what would happen is that they, if they claimed the name of Jesus and that they did not put altar on, incense on the altar and say that Caesar is Lord, uh, the Roman government would come and seize their businesses and persecute their lives. In fact, it cost many of their lives, as you saw last week, to the church of Pergamos, Antipas, who gave his life for the faith. Well, here in Thyatira, Jezebel, a false prophet, was now leading them and teaching them to compromise so that they would be able to live according to the world's principles and not according to holiness. Now, we don't truly know if this now woman whose name is identified as Jezebel, if truly her name was Jezebel. But we see here that the word of God refers to as, as Jezebel because her actions are parallel with the wicked actions of the idolatrous queen in 1 Kings chapter 16, Jezebel. Do you remember King Ahab in 1 Kings who married now the daughter of the king of Sidon? Her name was Jezebel. And the Lord specifically told the nation of Israel that, he would, that they would not intermarry with other now people because they would bring in their foreign gods. But King Ahab disobeyed. And he married Jezebel. And Jezebel brought in her icons, her idols, her statues, her worship of bowels, her own gods. And she started now to lead people astray into the seduction now of sexual sin and idolatry because of the gods that she brought out from the outside in. So here now, the Lord is telling the church of Thyatira, you have something similar taking place here. You have a Jezebel within you. And what is she doing? She calls herself a prophetess, but she's a false prophet, number one. And number two, what you're allowing her to do is you're allowing her to teach. You're allowing her to teach others. And what did Paul strictly say in his word that he would not permit now that a woman would take on the role of a teacher over now the body of Christ or over even have authority over a man, but that she would learn now to be in silence within that time and culture as it is biblical in the divine order that he has given us? So what was the problem here? That things were out of order. And now this woman who called herself a prophet would have come 
And she would teach these men and seduce them to the worship of foreign gods, idolatry, and seduce them now and lead them astray to commit sexual sin. You know what took place here? It was a tainted faith. It was a corrupted faith. Here their faith became polluted because they were given the temptation, I either make money or I'm a Christian. (laughs) And they began to compromise with these things that Jezebel had to offer them. They were enticed to commit spiritual fornication. You know what spiritual fornication is as they were caused to stumble? Because the church here, notice, we are called to be married to Jesus Christ. We're called to be separated, married to Jesus Christ. That means that we are faithful to him alone. So the worship of anything else constitutes spiritual fornication or adultery. And notice what we learn here in these very few verses is that no amount of loving, sacrificial works can compensate for the tolerance of evil. There are a lot of times that we say, well, in the name of love, we're going to accept that. But does that compromise truth? Because if it compromises truth, that's not the way that God wants you to love. God wants the church to stand for truth at no compromise. Charity, love, without truth is simply empty. And here what he's saying, why have you, haven't you confronted this problem? Why are you undisciplined with this sin in the church and you're tolerating this? And as you tolerate this sin of Jezebel, what you're doing is that you're actually approving of it. You see, when the church begins to approve of the customs of the world and the worship of the world within the church, we begin to lose the authority that God has given us. And then we can't make a stand for the things that God says in his word. We lose the authority to stand as salt and light in this world. It says you've allowed these things to come in and you are flirting with sin. It is destructive. We have to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to begin to flirt with sin in certain areas of our life as it becomes destructive. And here God is telling them, I have a zeal for holiness in my church. I have a desire for holiness in my church. He calls now us to holiness throughout the entire Bible. It was in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that the apostle says this, pursue peace with all people. He goes on and says, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. And here they had compromised their holiness. They allowed someone here, Jezebel, to come in and seduce, introduce idolatry, the worship of bowels and idols and icons. And to worship these pagan gods in these feasts where they would eventually commit sexual sin. And they began to drift away from the truth. It says, you may be loving people, but at its core, you're compromising the truth. Verse 21, and I gave her time. Circle that word, time. See, the Lord is a gracious Lord. And here he's saying, I gave her time. Time speaks of, I have been long-suffering. I've given her grace and time to repent. I gave her time to repent. Repent means I gave her time to change her mind. I have been long-suffering. I've given her time so that she turns away from sexual immorality and from sexual sin 
I gave her time to repent of her sexual sin, and she did not repent. What was the outcome here? It was the grace of God. I have given you grace, and I have given you time to repent of the sexual sin, but you refuse to repent, Thyatira. You are too proudful, and you are unwilling to repent. You see, when our hearts become so proud, our, we are unwilling to repent in regards to the sin that God's calling us to repent of. And the Lord gives us time. The Lord gives us time because he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, his word says. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. Some believe, he, well, he's taking too long to return. But where is the coming of the Lord? Is he really truly coming for his church? No, he is long-suffering right now toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, it is the grace of God that allows us and that gives us time in order that we would repent of the sin and turn to him. So he's saying, I gave Jezebel time to change her mind and turn from her wicked sin, but she refused to repent. So interesting how much time the Lord oftentimes gives us. He is so patient with us. And that's his grace, that's his mercy upon our lives, waiting for us to turn to him and to repent of our sin. But it said here, Thyatira and Jezebel, they refused to repent. Now notice what happens here in the admonition. You see all the uh, admiration or the approval of the church in their love and their works. And now we are looking at the admonition after having seen the accusation as well. It says here in verse 22, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. Here is the judgment that is coming from the Lord. Because she refused to repent... I will cast her into a sickbed and judge her sin and those who sin with her. Verse 22, and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation unless they repent of their sins or of their deeds. You see, this is now a warning. Verse 21, it used the word repent as an act of grace. I've given you time to repent. You're unwilling. That is my grace. But in verse 22, now the Lord speaks to Jezebel and says, but now I'm going to bring judgment, and this is a warning, unless you repent. And who would the judgment be coming to? Not only to Jezebel, but those who also committed the sin with her. It would come in a form of sickness. The Bible tells us here in verse 22, with his suffering and sickness, I will bring her into a great tribulation. In fact, Jezebel would go from the bed of sin, of sexual sin, to the bed of sickness or of pestilence. It would be given over to her unless she repented or turned away from the evil deeds. This is so important that we see this because as we look at this verse, we notice the word unless. You know the word unless means? It's an opportunity from God to us to turn away from our sins today. Unless you repent. So what is he saying with that word unless? Deal with the sin today. Confess it. There's unconfessed sin. There is sin that has not been repented now. And, and the Lord is holy, therefore he must 
discipline and judge the sin. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30, uh, his word tells us, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You see, oftentimes the reason why we don't repent is because we lost fear for God. And the church oftentimes has become so comfortable in her sin that she has forgotten the fear of God. And notice what happens here. That's where the corruption takes place from the inside out because the sin starts to kill. In verse 23, it says, and it goes on speaking of the judgment, I will kill her children with death. She's going to enter into great tribulation. Jezebel, this church, Thyatira. Judgment is going to come and kill her children. Why? Sin affects not only us, but those around us. Notice, and all the churches shall know that I am he. I'm going to do this in a very public way. I'm going to make Jezebel an example, or I'm going to make an example all out of this in front of the whole congregation so that they know that I am he, notice he, this, who searches the minds and the hearts. You see, they have not confessed of sin here, Jezebel or Thyatira. You have not dealt with it. So now I'm going to deal with it in a very public way. You haven't humbled yourself, so now I have to humble you. It's so important that we really learn to humble ourselves before the Lord because it's much better that we humble ourselves than he has to humble us. And here, this is what he's speaking of. He's saying, now all will know that I am he who now searches. That word searches, I want you to look in your Bible. It means I am he who examines. You may think that you're getting away with this, but I'm going to deal with this in a very public way. And there's going to be a pestilence that's going to come over these people. And all will know that I'm judging them because I am he who searches. I am he who examines. What is it the Lord examines? Well, he tells us here in verse 23, I examine the minds and the hearts. The minds and the intentions of the hearts. God is examining right now, even as we're hearing his word, he's examining our heart and our mind. <laughs> and he knows truly what is in there. Outwardly, we may be able to demonstrate a life that is fully committed to the Lord with a lot of love, but the Lord sees in our heart how deceitfully wicked it truly is. A lot of people say, well, you know what? Just follow your heart. That's the worst advice someone can give you. Because your heart will lie to you. Your heart is emotional. It's going to lead you now to hell. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. What did the Lord say? The heart is deceitful above all things. It's the worst liar because it's your emotions it's desperately wicked who can know it how would you ever trust your heart i the lord search the heart not only does the lord search the heart but notice what he does i test the mind i test the mind even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doing we may say well i'm not in sin, but have you sinned in your heart? I didn't, 
I didn't say anything or I didn't really do anything, but did you think about doing it? Because the Lord is searching the heart and he's testing the mind. He says, all will know here, Thyatira, that nothing is hidden before God. Nothing is hidden before God. And his eyes as a flame of fire searched out their thoughts and his eyes as a flame of fire searched out also their now motives. Their motives. You see, when, when the word says that his word is like a double-edged sword that it pierces to the depths of the heart and the intentions of the heart, it says that God knows our intentions. God knows our motivations. God searches our heart. God searches our mind. And nothing is hidden from him. Notice as he continues reading, we continue reading in verse 23, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. As I search your heart and mind, as I examine it now, I'm going to give you an account as to what you deserve. I'm going to hold you accountable. We don't like being held accountable, right? Oftentimes we promise something and when someone reminds us, we, we quickly say, well, I, that's not really what I meant. Well, here he's saying, I'm going to hold you accountable to the thoughts of your heart and thoughts of your mind. He's going to come and judge based off those things of what you thought of, what you had in your heart, and how you lived your life. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, For the Son of Man will come in glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. God will come, yes, to rule and reign, but first he's going to come to judge. Yes, he will come rule and reign, but first he will come to judge. And the judgment, the Bible says, is going to begin in the house of God. And notice the message that he has here in verse 24. It says, now to you I say. This is to those believers in Thyatira, the message for the rest of the church. A special word to those that were faithful, who did not follow the false doctrines or gave themselves over to the worship of bowels, or gave themselves over to sexual immorality. Now notice how serious this sin was. He didn't say it was just any type of sin. Verse 24, it says, I say to you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine or this teaching of Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan. <laughs> wow. Who have not been given over to the depths of Satan. You see, we should not be given over to the depths of Satan, but to know the deep things of God. What are the deep things of God? His love, his mercy, his compassion that fails not. To those that have remained holy and have not been given themselves over to the depths of Satan, who have not distorted the word of God, I will ask no more of you. Except, notice this, I will put on you no other burden, verse 25, but, or except this, hold fast what you have till I come. What an encouragement this is even for us right now. To those of you that are not given over to these sins, that are now allowing the world's standards or the world's principles to come and dictate your life, I have something to tell you. Hold fast what you have until I come. What does it mean to hold fast? I want you to hold tightly now what you have. I want you to keep the faith. 
I, I want you here to finish well, or he's speaking of the resistance of evil. He's saying, don't get caught up on all this. It's so easy to get caught up on the things of this world. When you see movements of people being interested in one thing, and then the church becomes so infatuated and, and elated with the things of this world, and we become interested with it as well. <laughs> or we become distracted. Instead of holding tightly or holding fast the truth, he's saying, do not get caught up. Hold fast. Have in resistance of evil. Until when? Notice, it speaks to this in verse 25, until I come. How many of you believe that Jesus is coming again? Amen. Amen. And we are to be ready until he comes. This is the first mention in the book of Revelation of the coming of Christ signifying or speaking of the rapture. The rapture. The rapture is such an event that we ought to know it's a real event that can take place at any moment now. In fact, Paul speaks of it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, when he tells the church of Thessalonica, and he says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. <laughs> He's going to come with a trumpet blast, with a loud shout, and when we hear that shout, notice what's going to happen. And the dead in Christ, it's going to sound like that. <laughs> and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then so those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What a blessing that we can comfort one another with those words that one day we are going to hear the trumpet blast. And as we hear the trumpet blast, our arms are going to go up and say, Lord, take us. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, and we'll be caught up to be with the Lord in the air and meet with him in heaven to be with him forever. Amen. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. You look at the things that are taking place in this world. The activity taking place in the Middle East. The terrorism and those that are coming against the nation of Israel. It should warn us that Jesus is coming quickly that we truly are living in the last days. What does Jesus say? Surely I'm coming quickly. And what do we say? Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Why? Because we're waiting, we're expecting, we're ready for the coming of the Lord. So what does he say? Hold fast to what you have until I come. Are you holding fast to what you have until he comes? Are you holding fast, keeping the faith, keeping the truth until he comes? Well, notice, look at the promise here in verse 26. And he who overcomes, he who overcomes, we have first the approval. We have the accusation. We have the admonition. But now we have the promise here. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. To all who are victorious, who are now obeying me until the very end, who don't 
compromise, keep my works, means those who obey. There is a reward, just like there is a reward to all of the seven churches. And this reward is a twofold reward. It starts here with this in verse 26. To him I will give the power over the nations. So he overcomes, I will give the power over the nations. What does this speak of, the power over the nations? Well, he who keeps my works and is obedient, I'm going to give you power over the nations, or they were going to live and reign with Christ in the millennial kingdom reign. The second coming speaks of us coming with the Lord after having been raptured. And after having been raptured, we're going to come and rule and reign on this earth. And we're going to defeat Satan once and for all. And the Lord is going to cast him into the lake of fire and will rule and reign. He'll establish his righteous kingdom with perfect justice here on earth forever. This is why he says this as he quotes Psalms chapter 2 verse 8. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. What does this mean? It's going to be a strong, perfect kingdom with perfect justice. And notice what he says. And these shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. What does it mean? A perfect, just kingdom. And they're going to dash to pieces like a potter's vessel, the rebellious, sinful people that never repented. Like clay pots that are easily broken to pieces, they're going to be broken. Now notice as it continues saying, as I also have received from my father, I'm going to give you the authority that I've received from my father in the triumphant work of the conquering Messiah here on earth. So the first promise to those who overcome is that they will rule with Christ. They will have victory. Victory. You see, this word rule also means shepherd with Christ. They're going to come rule the earth with Christ. For a thousand years. But then it also speaks in verse 28, and I will give him, it's a second part of the promise, and I will give him the morning star. Many of us ask ourselves, well, what is the morning star? It's not simply about what is the morning star, but who is the morning star? Here the Lord offers a greater reward than the kingdom. And the greater reward than the kingdom is offering the reward of himself because he is the morning star. Not only will I give you the authority and the power to rule and give you the kingdom, I'm also going to give you something better than the kingdom. I'm going to give you the morning star, and that's myself. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus is that morning star. So he's promising us to rule with him, but he's also promising us an intimate relationship with Christ. To the overcoming believer, Christ's presence is the light in the dark and difficult times. This is why he calls him the morning star. Before the dawn is coming, I will give you the bright and morning star. Did you know that the bright and morning star or the morning star is the first star that announces the, that the night is gone and that the day is coming? So hear what he's saying. I'm going to give you the morning star speaks of hope for today. Darkness has passed. 
The light is coming. I'm going to give you, Jesus, hope for today. That's the promise of Christ for us even now. Verse 29, as we read this final verse, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what this means? This application applies to everyone. You may say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't find myself being swayed or or corrupted by the sin of Jezebel, of idolatry or sexual sin. Well, this application still applies to you. It applies to those who, like Jezebel, lead others into sin. It applies of those that are stumbling in sin or following Jezebel into sin. Yes, it applies to them. Or even to those that permit Jezebel to work her wickedness, those that tolerate these sins. Maybe you know the sin is taking place and you're not calling it out. Because you're saying, well, I just want to love them. But if you love them, you're willing to tell them the truth of the word of God because you want them to be set free from the sin. Or maybe even today, God is calling that sin out in your life and saying, don't ignore it, don't tolerate it any longer. But it also applies to the faithful. Notice, the faithful that must hold fast, that must endure, that must not give up. What's the message that we see here? Repent and hold fast. Repent and hold fast. You see, it's not only lost sinners that need to repent. It is not only lost sinners that need to repent. It's also disobedient Christians. Those that know the truth, but are living in disobedience. Those that know the truth and are living in disobedience. What did Jesus say? I have given you time. And I'm going to bring judgment unless you repent. Unless you repent, I'm going to bring judgment. He who has an ear to hear, this applies to you. And behold, I'm coming quickly, says the Lord. So today we want to make things right with the Lord. He is coming quickly. And maybe you are today, you are here and saying, I need to make things right with God. Because he's telling me to repent and to hold fast. And that's you right now. You're saying, well, I need to repent. And I want the Lord to give me strength in my walk with him. I don't want to say no to compromise. Then right there where you are, I just want you to raise your hand as we pray.